Life doesn't stop because of the cancer diagnosis. I was going to do whatever it took, take whatever body parts you need, as long as I can just be here as long as I can. You thought there was no pride after having kids, right? right. And then you realized there's a whole nother level of no pride. It was the best, worst time in my life. This is Voices, a Dana-Farber Cancer Institute podcast that features firsthand experiences from cancer patients. In this episode of Voices, we hear from Colleen and Gabby, two breast cancer patients who managed parenthood while also undergoing treatment at the Susan F. Smith Center for Women's Cancers at Dana-Farber. They share their experience as parents with cancer, including insight into how they communicated their diagnoses and treatment to their children, and how they balance the roles of both mom and cancer patient. Hi, my name is Colleen. I was diagnosed in 2014, and I was 39 years old at the time. My name is Gabby, and I was diagnosed with BRCA1 breast cancer in November of 2013. Well, Colleen and I have a lot in common, yes. we found out, I think. So I was diagnosed at around 37, 38 as well. I had found a lump in my right breast and you know just wasn't normal. I have very dense breast tissue to begin with, but as dense as they are, they're very symmetrical. So, you know, when I felt a lump, it was, hmm, that doesn't doesn't seem right. And I remember calling my doctor and I went to see her on Halloween and I remember my husband asked me how the appointment went and I said she doesn't like it and that was a Thursday and Monday morning I was at the hospital getting an ultrasound and a mammogram and I had already had a mammogram a year before and it was totally clear so I I kind of was nervous because it was a big enough lump that I felt it myself and, and didn't seem right and when I got the mammogram and the ultrasound there was definitely something there and I remember the war woman walking me out saying you know it's probably a cyst, mm -hmm. like, you know, don't get, you know, let's, let's wait till we know the results. And then Friday I went to my doctor. I had work, so I went into work. I took the train right to the doctor's office. And she said, you have breast cancer. And I just remember like a, a millisecond of silence and then kind of like the oh crap moment and crying in her office and I had I had planned on walking home. It was kind of a nice, you know, warmish day and I planned on walking a couple of miles home to get some exercise in and she canceled her appointments and drove me home and she called my husband while I was in the office with her and like told him and I just remember getting home and okay, you just were told you had cancer, but you have kids. So we ha I had to go, I was on, I was the person on pickup that day to pick up the kids from after school. And I just remember like, life doesn't stop. I mean, I think that was the first time that I realized life doesn't stop because of the cancer diagnosis. I'm a fifth grade teacher in Mansfield. And uh, during February vacation, I was going to do my normal, you know, doctor's appointments and dentist appointments. I have three daughters and we were busy doing that. And um, it was funny, that morning I really didn't want to go to the doctor. I don't, something in me, I just didn't want to go. 
not that you ever really do, but something <laughs> in me, I just really did not want to go. I remember being very short with my girls that morning, and, you know, in hindsight, I think something, some part of me knew that it wasn't going to be a good day. And she found a lump and didn't like the feel of it, and I remember there was a snowstorm coming, and she wanted me to go for a mammogram and an ultrasound that day. I remember thinking like, oh, I don't want to draw. I didn't, wasn't really taking it seriously. In my head, I thought it was really a cyst or something. It could never be breast cancer. So I was like, fine, I'll go. <laughs> and I don't know, I just didn't really think anything was really going to happen. So I went for my first mammogram and the ultrasound, and it was determined that day that it was a tumor. And then everything started moving very quickly. The following week, I had to have a biopsy done. And again, a terrible feeling about that. I just kind of knew it wasn't going to turn out well. And then um, the next five days were kind of a blur in school. I remember just going through the motions, but always being very nervous about, because I just, inside I knew. And um, a phone call came from my primary care. And I, again, I, part of me knew something was not going to be good. The other part of me was like, this could never happen to me. I'm too young. And sure enough, she said, Colleen, uh, I have some bad news for you. You have um, invasive ductal carcinoma and we, where do you want to get your treatment? And I remember saying, like, what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I can't, this isn't happening. And I ran into another room with another coworker, and she was looking at me like, what, what is she saying? And I was like just pointing to my breast, and I'm listening to her, and I couldn't like really grasp, and I was scribbling notes. I had no idea really what she was talking. I'd never heard of this before. And so it was just um, from there, that day, I had to leave school early, and I just could not. I remember just crying the whole way home, um, and uh, just couldn't believe that this was the diagnosis that I just got. It was definitely um, not on my radar. Um, I found out afterwards that I'm BRCA1 positive, and I also am triple negative breast cancer as well. Which is unusual because I'm BRCA1 triple negative, mm -hmm. and you don't find many of us no. out uh -huh. there. But I think once you are diagnosed with breast cancer under the age of 40, it's like one of the first indicators mm -hmm. to, to request genetic testing mm -hmm. because of that. Yeah, that's what um, I remember him saying. There was a red flag. And I, I, it was so new to me. I didn't really know this whole world existed. I didn't really at the time know that I had family that had breast cancer. My mother lost her mother at a very young age at the age of 12. And then her my grandmother's sisters had all passed, and when I met with the genetic counselor, I really didn't know who had cancer and who didn't, and come to find out I have it, my mother has it, my brother has it as well. We're all BRCA1 positive. So in thinking ahead with my three daughters, I can be proactive with them as well. So very quickly, my doctor um, referred me to a doctor at a Faulkner hospital, and I had a double mastectomy done there. And then my breast oncologist kind of referred me right here to Dana Faber. And I remember thinking like everything was happening so quickly. Like I was just two weeks out of a double mastectomy, and they were already making the plans for my chemo. And nobody really cared <laughs> too much about like they were cared more about the cancer. You know, it was like we have to beat this. And I remember thinking like. I'm still like so sore mm -hmm. and pterodactyl arms. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it was like just walking around 
And I'm like, no, you know, like I wasn't getting a lot of sympathy for this because they cared more about killing the cancer. In, in hindsight, of course, that was much more important. So I did go through um, 16 rounds of um, ACT was my cocktail. And um, I had, let's see, yeah, four months of every other week coming here to Dana-Farber for my chemo. And then immediately, I thought I was going to have a little break and then radiation, but no, it, it again, it just keeps on going. And it was 25 daily rounds of radiation. Um, I was able to, at, it was in September when I started my radiation. And thankfully I was able to work half days. It was really good for me mentally to stay busy. So I was able to work it so that I could teach a half day, drive into Boston, come in for my radiation, and then drive home afterwards. So it, it, was, it, it really did work out well with my daily life schedule. When people ask me about my experience, I say it was the best, worst time mm -hmm. in my life. And I think at this stage in our lives, we both have kids. I also have two girls. Mm -hmm. So uh, the genetic testing, in some ways, it was the best thing. It made the decision for me. Once I had the genetic results, there was no question as to what my treatment would mm -hmm. be. Mm -hmm. And I think I was thankful to kind of get that decision made for me mm -hmm. because if you don't have um, the genetic marker, you might have options as to whether or not you yeah. want a lumpectomy yep. or a single mastectomy or you have to make decisions. But once you find out you're BRCA positive, you really, I based agree. off the statistics, your decision is kind of made for you mm -hmm. and the recommendations are, are really well out there already. For me, it was just the second I heard the BRCA1, I was going to do whatever it takes to continue my life. So having three daughters, very much, it would, I guess when you become a mom, I feel like your life kind of ends as caring about yourself. Now you have to put your children first. and. For me, it was just, I was going to do whatever it took, take whatever body parts you need, do whatever you need to my, to me, as long as I can just be here, as long as I can. Having the BRCA um, marker, it made the decision for me, which I was thankful for, because there's so many things that are out of your control and so many mm -hmm. decisions you have to make. So having one made for you is certainly a benefit. Mm -hmm. It also allowed me to be in a clinical trial for BRCA1 triple negative, which I felt like having daughters and knowing that it's hereditary and knowing the statistics, everything mm -hmm. being numbers mm -hmm. about it, um, the indicator, just feeling, um, one thing that they say when you go through cancer is any ability you have to take control, you take it. Yeah. Most people will tell you, you know, you're going to lose your hair. Go shave it before you lose it because you do it, not the cancer, That's not the so chemo. That's so funny. We had the same mantra in my house, too. I was just talking with my daughter about it. She said the worst part was when she would see the hair, like, just falling out in the wind as I was driving. Yeah, it was just like daughter. Go. The hair was the thing she put. It wasn't me being sick or going into the hospital for surgery. It was the hair. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine... My, my father had already lost his wife to cancer 10 years prior. I had lost my mom. And then for me, his youngest daughter to call and say, I have cancer, couldn't fathom, you know? So I remember doing what he did to me when he told me mom had cancer, which was 
are you are you there with anyone? Is you know someone in the house with you? Like I remember saying like, oh, are you together with so and so tonight? Oh, you know. And then I, I told him, and we told maybe two other sets of friends, and we really kept it tight until we had all the information, what we were going to be doing, what my diagnosis was, when I was going to start, because. I didn't want to tell people and then have to call everyone again and tell them again and everyone would have been calling every day and I, I just I needed to figure it out for myself before yeah. everyone yeah. kept on asking because I felt like that was more pressure than I could really take at the time. So we kept it to a very small group of people to get through all of the initial um, staging and testing and and you know treatment options and then I remember it was Thanksgiving weekend, so I was diagnosed like three weeks earlier. And then we told the kids once we had, so I could say, you know, mom has can't, and I did a lot of the talking. It was a lot of research. We connected with Dana Farber. They have a family connection social worker who gave us backpacks yes, for the kids. Do you remember too. the backpacks yes, with the wiki yep. sticks yeah. and, the, oh, absolutely. and the coloring books? Yep. And um, Arthur's teacher has cancer, mm -hmm. I think was yes, the book in there. Yep. And we were lucky that we had a friend of ours who, who's a school psychologist who had recommended some books. And I remember I read through all the books and I took the key things I needed for each kid and I wrote it down and I practiced it. And then I remember sitting them down and they were three and six and saying, I have cancer. And what does that mean? You know, there are bad cells and good cells. Right now the bad cells are eating the good cells. I'm going to have chemotherapy and that's a that's a type of treatment it's mm -hmm. a type of medicine that is going to kill the bad cells but it it kills the good cells too so mommy's not going to feel so good and I reminded them when we all had the stomach bug and what that felt like and that I might feel like that after treatment I said it doesn't change anything we still have your schedule the same right. just different people might come and help pick you up and drop you off and might help take care of you and Mommy might be on the couch some days, but we're going to get through it together. And they asked, of course, the question, are okay. you going to die? Oh, die. That question. And every research said, you don't answer yes or no. Because if you do, because you don't know how this is going to turn out, if you do, you don't want them to resent you for lying to them. Mm -hmm. So I remember saying to them, you know what? I have the best doctors in the world, and they're going to do everything to make sure mm -hmm. that I come out of this and we're gonna fight, and we're gonna fight all together, and this is what you can do to help. Yeah, I you know? did that, I totally avoided that, you know, mother of the year, I totally avoided that, answering that question <laughs> when that came up. My girls were uh, 10, nine, and four at the time, and similarly, I sat down with my girls too. I didn't do as much, like, background information as you did. I was more kind of flying by the seat of my pants. I couldn't wait. And so I needed to be honest with them immediately, and I wanted them to be aware what was happening because once in the school district that I work in, once that word got out, it was spreading like wildfire. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, sat the girls down right after school, and I just had to blurt it out. And we had the books, and we cried. And my husband's, cr everybody was crying. You know, my youngest being four, she didn't really understand yeah. too much about what was happening, but I... And then my three-year-old went and played with Legos, Yeah, it you wasn't... Know. It was yeah. like, okay, see but you later. Yeah. <laughs> and so we had to talk a lot about, about being in the best possible place to take care of me, 
and we're going to do everything in my power to make sure that I was healthy. But, you know, this, this, and this were all going to happen. And I just needed to be honest with them and to say, you know, that there's a likelihood I am going to get sick. There's a likelihood, you know, I am going to lose my hair and I am going to have some rough times ahead, but I need you to be with me. We're family and we have to stick together. Having girls and being BRCA positive is is tough. It's definitely tough. It's, it's uh, particularly always. you're a mom, so you're always worried. But then to feel like the guilt of did I pass this yeah, on sure. to my child and God, you know what's right. going to happen. So for me, um, we also were advised somewhere between 25 and 29 to have the my daughters tested, and in some ways. My kids at the time were, were three and six. They're now six and nine. They're, they're not old enough yet. We have talked about um, BRCA1 with my daughters, and I don't think, you know, because it's not something that they can tangibly see, um, that they're not really too worried about it yet, but we have talked about when they're 25 that they will be getting screened for it. And I just had the discussion with my daughter coming in. I said, you know, Dana-Farber is always going to be a part of our lives. This is a safe place. This is a place where I got my life back, and I'm very proud of Dana-Farber. So, you know, I told them that they will need to always be involved with the doctors here, but it, it kind of, like, went over their heads a little bit. I think as we get closer to it and as they get older and more mature, it'll make more meaning to them. We've been very honest about my journey. Mm -hmm. They've seen yeah. me go through yes, it. They've yeah. We have not shied away from any of the complications or the surgeries or the treatments. They've seen me get the shots at home. We're very open about it. Very open. Yeah. They know I do a, a lot of volunteer work here, so they probably don't even remember that I was here for treatment. They see it more as, oh, mommy has a meeting there tonight, or, yeah. you know, I'm working yeah. on this or that. So we haven't really talked to them about the BRCA per se. They know my mom passed from cancer. They know I had cancer. I'm not ready to have a conversation about what this means for them yet because I don't think they're ready to fully under. I got to yeah. have the conversation about puberty first before oh, I can explain. Good luck with that. Yeah, yeah. Good luck. Yeah. So I, I need to get through the basics of normal childhood before right, I right. infuse yeah. anything else with them. But that being said, similar to Colleen. Dana-Farber is a, a positive place to them. So they're very familiar with what it is and what it isn't, and that'll be part of their lives growing up. Yes, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. That's exactly. It. This is what the cards that we were dealt, and I try my best to educate them the, according to, like, their age, like, what's right, appropriate, appropriate to their age, right? right? But, I, you know, they are very much aware that their life is going to be a little bit different than yeah. other kids, you know, and... Who knows, maybe by the time they're 25, life will be very different for them and they won't have to worry about that. Right. Um, and with all the research that's going on here. And, and, and that was kind of the draw for me to come to Dana-Farber was to be a part of the clinical research for BRCA-positive triple negative breast cancer because although I don't have control over me having cancer, the idea that I am potentially changing the course of cancer treatment for the future, and that future includes potentially my girls, it's, again, it's about taking control. So I had yeah. the ability to take control of something, I was gonna do it. Hopefully, it, it, to Colleen's point, yeah. you know, it's a non-issue in, in the next 15 years that they'll be, you know, of age to have a fuller discussion about right. it.
I did get a wig, which I did wear. Um, being a teacher, I felt very much that I wanted to keep it consistent for my students. So uh, maybe a week after I got diagnosed, we sat down almost 50 children, and it, it was really difficult because I didn't look sick on the outside. And I had to explain to them that on the inside, my body was sick. And there were a lot of tears. There were definitely a lot of um, sadness amongst the kids. And um, it was hard to find that strength to, because I didn't know if I was going to be okay. And so I just kept reassuring them that I was, you know, to lie to them. <laughs> Teacher of the year, yeah, I told them I was going to be fine. And um, basically, we just spent a lot of time talking the what ifs. And I really didn't have a lot of answers for them. But, oh, thank you. And um, I just wanted to reassure them that even though I had this diagnosis, that life was going to go on. And so I did try, even after my six weeks of um, healing, after my double mastectomy, I was able to work um, through my chemo treatment. So I would take like a day off, obviously, from my chemo treatment, and the day after I took off. But I somehow managed to go back to work. And although I wasn't 100%, it was really good for me to as I said, stay busy. I needed to see the children. I needed to see my coworkers and have like a normal life yeah. because otherwise I would have really gone into that dark place yeah. and I didn't want to go there. So going to school was really like saved me. I also worked through my whole diagnosis. I was very lucky in that the job that I had at the time allowed me to work from home if I wanted. So once I told work and started treatment, I decided to work from home full time. And I do agree that working through it probably was a little bit of a savior for me because you're already living cancer 24-7, but to be thinking cancer 24-7, you can't. You just mentally can't get there. No. You really can't. and I don't like depending on people. Me neither. So I really had a hard time with people bringing over dinner at first. You yes. know, and it was a wonderful, believe me, oh. it was wonderful. It was but greatly appreciated. But you're the one who always takes but care I of people, right? But I would do that. Yes, yeah. I'm the one who usually does that. And so to sit back and, you know, people come to the house and they were so giving, so one, like yeah. above and beyond anything. Yes, agreed. You know, I would have stopped at McDonald's and giving my kids chicken nuggets. And but I would have been happy they, with that too, that by would, the way. I know, <laughs> you know, but then people would get, make these extravagant dinners and drive far distances. Yep. They, I remember people, as time went on, it was, you know, it was on the calendar, like every Monday and Wednesday, somebody yeah. would be coming over. And it just made such a huge difference. And it really opened my eyes to really paying it forward. So now I really try to make a conscious effort to try and it's always a constant reminder, like to pay it forward and try to do something to help whenever I can, even if it's just a small little a note. You know, people at school would send cards. Every, they set up this um, calendar, and people at my school would, they signed up for certain days. And so every day I would get a card from a different staff member. If not one, it was three or five, just checking awesome. in, thinking of you. And it's the that little things. made it's, me feel not yeah. alone, like what you were yeah. saying, just to know that people care. 
and I can do that. And I had like this supportive army that I didn't realize yes. before having cancer that I had all these. I knew I had wonderful people in my life, but I really didn't know to what extent they were willing to fight for me. And I think that's why I say it was the best, worst time in my life. It's because of that community and because of, you know, people really, I don't want to say show their colors, but people really do rally. I'm used to being the mom, sure. not just the mom of my kids and the family, but like the communal mom. You know, I'm the one who kind <laughs> of was the counselor or the, you know, what do you need? I'll take care of it kind of thing. And so when I got sick, I similarly felt really uncomfortable having people do it for me. Like it's okay for me to do right, it, of but course, it's not okay yeah. for others to do, do it, for it for me. me. It was hard, and that's a hard was, pill to swallow. Yeah. It's a hard, hard pill to swallow. And we swallowed a lot of pills. <laughs> yeah, that's true, a lot of big ones. <laughs> a lot of big ones are right. But someone had written in a letter once to me, and this kind of, this was the beginning of me changing my whole thought process, which was you, the gift you give us is letting us take care of you. Yeah. I get choked yeah, up just yeah. thinking about it because you are giving us the gift of letting us take care of you. Yeah. And as soon as I read that, I said, that's it. I'm yeah. done. Like, do what you want. Do whatever you need <laughs> to do. Bring yeah. me, you know, and similarly, you know, I had a bunch of girlfriends who, before my first chemo treatment, they brought over a bag and it was a bag for me to like take with me to my chemo treatments. Mm. And it had scarves for when sure. I lost my hair. It had leggings for all my chemo treatments yeah. to just wear really comfy okay. tops and bottoms and um, it just, I letting them do that was such a relief because there was no more guilt in it. It was right. just, it right. was a pleasure, you know? And then finally getting over the hump and saying, you know what I really need? I need someone to do my laundry. Yeah. I need someone to pick up, you know, some milk for my kids. Mm -hmm. Like, and not being afraid to ask, I think letting go allows you so much more freedom to enjoy the experience for what it's going to oh, be, yeah. whatever it's going to be. I would say um, get over it and allow yourself the help that people want to give you. It is a gift you give them mm -hmm. to help you and it, it is a gift to you and, and take it because you'll, you'll want it. And I think for me, staying positive was real, like looking at life, um, not woe is me or anything like that. It's looking like I have this moment to breathe and be alive. And I wake up every morning and I thank God that I'm here another day and I get to share this day with my friends and my family. And even when it rains, you know, there's always that rainbow that comes. And I really do try to live my life knowing that I'm surrounded by positivity. Now I, I've adopted it. It's like my thing now that I just really try to stay positive. And I try to instill that on my students as well. And I try to instill it in my, of course, my daughters do too. Um, I guess I just want to breathe now. Like yeah. I trust in the doctors here and everybody has done everything that they possibly could do. We've killed every possible cell. We've removed body parts. We've, you know, done the chemotherapy. You know, everything has been done. So now when I met with my doctor back in November, he said, you just have to focus on being a mom. Like the cancer diagnos diagnosis is in, the, is in the past and you just have to keep moving forward and not let it dictate your life. And that was really a hard thing for me to do because for so long, cancer was my life. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Voices, featuring breast cancer patients Colleen and Gabby, who shared their insight on balancing motherhood and breast cancer. To hear more episodes of Voices and learn about other podcasts from Dana-Farber, visit www.danafarber.org podcasts.